You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Well, this is Darren Key. He is the CEO of CFR. So I practiced that a few times to get ready for this. But will you make him feel welcome this morning? Glad to have him here. So, Darren, you guys do a lot of stuff with churches, just like Northeast. Tell us a little bit about how CFR kind of comes along as a ministry to churches. Sure. Well, first of all, i got to say thank you for having me up here. Uh, I live in Orlando, Florida. Anytime you can escape Florida in August to come up here, that's a very good thing. So thank you for that. Uh, Secondly, so, yeah, what do we do for churches? So our ministry is funding ministry, changing lives. There's two ways that we, we do that for churches. One is where we help a church like Northeast to refinance their loan and save money. And I don't want to steal all your thunder, but what we were able to do with you guys through God's help, it is the greatest story in my 22 years at CFR. I cannot believe what God did here. It's mm-hmm. just amazing. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. <clears throat> Secondly is we help churches when they're trying to get into their first building. So there's a pastor uh, that grew up, uh, the church I served at, Southeast Christian Louisville. He moved to Baltimore, Maryland and started Mosaic Christian Church. And it's a very unique church. When I walked in a few years ago to meet with their leadership, it was the first time in my tenure that I walked in and I was the oldest guy in the room. I'm only 47 years old. Mm -hmm. Needless to say, that's never happened when I come here to Northeast to meet with Monty and the elders uh, (laughs) at this church. So the church is reaching millennials. 20s and 30s. And that's a tough demographic for churches to reach. They started out in a movie theater, then they moved into some warehouse space and just kept growing and growing. So we came alongside them. We gave them a loan to buy their first ever building. They just moved in a few months ago. They're already running over a thousand people every weekend and they baptized over 600 people. That's awesome. So pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... Yeah, you can you can applaud for that. That's awesome. Uh, one of the things that I know about you guys is you don't. You, it's not just about churches, but it's about families as well. Tell us how you guys minister to families. Yeah, so I said I'm from Orlando, Florida. Many of you know Orlando is the home of Disney's Magical Kingdom, and so some people think we have a magical money tree at our ministry office that we pluck the money off of to make all these loans possible. But the reality is, uh, 39 years ago, a group of Christian leaders got together and they based our ministry on a core truth. God owns everything because he created it. He has us manage everything. So we should always look for ways to manage whatever God has entrusted every one of us to further his kingdom. And so there's two ways that you can partner with our ministry to do that. The first is for everybody in this room. We teach that every family and every business ought to be wise and have a three to six month emergency fund. So you can open up our ready access savings account. You can link it to whoever your local bank checking account is. You can move money back and forth as much as you want. All while you earn two and a half percent and you're helping us to fund hundreds of churches like Mosaic Northeast. Secondly, is for some of you in this room. Some of you, at some point in your life, you've left a job, you got an old IRA or a 401k, and it's just kind of sitting over here in a secular institution, and it's not doing much. You can roll that into an IRA at CFR. You get a fixed rate of 3 to 4%, and then you also get to know that you're funding ministry and changing lives. That's the coolest thing about what you guys do. You only invest in churches and Christian nonprofits. So that's all you guys do. And that's one of the coolest things. So if somebody's here and they go, hey, I'd like to know more about you guys and go to your website, but is there something else? 
So yeah, you can text CFR to the number on the screen, and one of our team members will give you a call this week. Or when you walked in, you just got some information about our ministry, and there you're going to see our various rates and accounts. There's also a response card. Fill out that response card uh, and hand it to us after the service, and we would love to give you a packet to help you learn more about our ministry. But thanks for your partnership. Yeah, so uh, this is where you normally leave the stage, right? And I said, don't leave. And you were really nervous in the first service, and I don't know why. You should trust me. I'm 10 years older, as you <laughs> mouthy kid pointed out earlier. <laughs> but I want, I want you to be here for a specific purpose. We, we know that God orchestrated this whole refinancing thing, and that's why we made a big deal about it. Uh, you guys have been with us. You've seen God has just faithfully brought us through so many really challenging times and seasons and moments. But Darren, the truth is that without you guys, I'm not sure that we would have gotten over the, the finish line. You guys have been so faithful with us. You believed in what God was doing here when we weren't even, we were questioning whether or not we could even survive. And you guys came in, and this wasn't just a, a couple months ago. I mean, you guys came in a couple years ago, and you've been hung with us all along the way. And I just want you to know, on behalf of all of us, our leadership, our staff, everyone who's, who considers this place their home, we want to say thank you to you for that. So. Yeah. I, I do want to say thank you, you guys. Uh, he, I didn't know he was going to do that, never have that happen. Uh, but, you know, 40 weekends a year I travel. I'm away from my four kids. And, uh, and I ask a lot of my team to be out on the road all the time. But that means a lot. It um, means it all is worthwhile. So I just want to say thank you guys. Yeah, thank you, man. We love you guys so much. And hopefully you can lower interest rate in this, uh, rich, in this next loan. Thank you. Okay. Never hurts to ask. Because of this new loan, in all serious now, we're entering a new season. You see, the old loan, and I was joking about it uh, before, but we couldn't pay on the principal ahead of time, like you might on a home mortgage or something, because there was such a stiff penalty to pay on the principal early. I've never heard of that before, but that was the way this loan was set up. This loan, this new loan, gives us an opportunity. It feels as though somebody has just taken the handcuffs off of us. It's really an exciting thing. As we move into this next season, we want to actually start eliminating debt because when we do that, we have the opportunity to release resources for ministry. And I don't know if, you've been, if you're aware of this, but that is one of the most awesome realities of where we are in this journey together. There's a temptation though that comes when you hear something like this, a, an amazing blessing. We've even referred to it as a miracle. CFR and Fifth Third all say they've never seen the bank except that kind of write-off. And we know why that happened. There's a tendency even a temptation, if you will, that when that happens, to think, man, we're good now. I mean, we've been white-knuckling it all along. You know, our throats have been tight, and we've been really clenching down and really fighting hard, but now we kind of take it easy, right? We don't have to worry about things. We don't have to even 
pay that much attention. And the truth is, is that we still have a little over five and a half million <laughs> that they're financing. And what they're doing right now is there is an interest-only loan that we have for three years. And the reason for that is they want to give us some time to breathe, but they also have told us that every dollar we give that's designated for the principal will actually go to the principal and it will reduce our interest rate. So if you're here and you have your checkbook and you want to make something serious happen, it's, five, it's over five and a half million. And you can, uh, you, can, you can write that to the church. We'd take that. Thank you for the six of you who thought that was funny. I'm serious, people. Yeah. Somebody said one time, you have not because you ask not. And uh, here's the reality. The reality of all of this, and I've been a little tongue-in-cheek on much of this, but the reality is this race isn't over. As an old marathoner, we're probably somewhere in mile seven or mile eight. And I got to tell you that there have been some big hills behind us, but there's some challenging hills ahead of us. This race is not over. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Philippians, the third chapter, verses 13 and 14. If you have your Bible or you want to turn to it in your, on your device, your phone or tablet or whatever, uh, we're going to use this as our, kind of our text to, to uh, dig in today. This is what Paul says. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What Paul is doing in this text and in this letter is I think he get, he's giving us what I called five running tips to help us run the best race we can as a disciple for Jesus. He's giving us some running tips to help us run the best race we can. Now, why did Paul bring all of this up? Why is this necessary? We're not positive, but probably there were some people in the church who were dropping out of this race. They started out with great excitement. They were, they, were, they were energized by the fact that God had washed their sins away and that they had their home secure in, in heaven for all eternity. But then all of a sudden, things started to get difficult, started to get hard. And Paul's using his own outlook on this race, the Christian life, as a way to encourage his readers to not give up. This race isn't over yet. This past week, a national best-selling Christian author and former megachurch minister announced that he was no longer a Christian. He didn't just leave the ministry. He was backing away from his faith. I'm not sure why that happened. I'm sure there will be more information that will come out in the future, but this guy was dropping out. He is leaving the family of God. You know, every year we read about ministers who... Uh, some of them are my friends who leave the ministry. One stat said that somewhere around 1,700 ministers leave the ministry every month in America. Occasionally it might be because of a mistake they've made, a moral failure, or financial indiscretion, but most of the time they're just worn out. They feel underpaid. 70% say that they struggle with depression. 50% deal with discouragement. Many of them are just plain lonely. 
The statistics speak for themselves. And if ministers are struggling and dropping out like that, it makes sense that church people would also struggle as well. I understand the headwinds that a person faces as a Christian. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 10, you will be hated by everyone because of me. Now, I'm not sure he's saying literally everyone, but I do think he's saying there's always going to be somebody who doesn't like you because you're a Christian, and they're gonna oppose you. Jesus said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. And the idea here is that if you live for Jesus, there will be those in this world who will stand against you. Let's not kid ourselves that that's not hard, because it is. We all know that God gives us strength to keep running when we feel like quitting, but you also know that there have been times in the past when you've thought that it would just be simpler to just drop out. And the truth is that I've thought that myself. I am so grateful to the Northeast leadership, the elders and our staff here, because they've been really awesome to help protect me from that kind of burnout. Every year during the summer months, they give me two weeks to go away and spend time with God, literally. Just me and God for a good portion of this. And it's a time to recharge my batteries and refresh my soul. Steve Smith and Jessica Pasley do a tremendous job leading the staff on a day-to-day basis while I'm away. And David Green, as you know, does a, a phenomenal job preaching so that I can be away. This is my first Sunday back, and I can't tell you how excited I am to be back. I'm deeply thankful for you as a church giving me that time we call my study time. I come back every year refreshed and ready to tackle the next chapter of what God has for us on this journey. You know, we all need time to recharge. Even world-class runners build rest days into their training schedules where they don't run at all, just rest. You see, it's easy to get run down, and when we're not in that frame of mind where we're strong and we're healthy and we're fresh, we eventually will burn out. Paul writes this letter, I think, in part, so that no disciple will ever decide to quit this race. He wants us to run our best race. And he didn't know you and me, but I'm sure he was thinking about us, the generations to come. So Paul gives us these five tips to keep running our best race as a disciple of Jesus. And I want to give them to you. The first one, running tip number one, is the race isn't over. So keep running. It's just simple. Keep running, he said. My training partner, when I was training for marathons, would always say this. Even if you have to walk, don't stop. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Keep running, Paul says. In Philippians 3.13, Paul encourages the disciples here to keep running because this isn't over. It isn't. Listen to what he says in the first part of verse 13. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. This is the third time that Paul has referenced his own kind of incompleteness in this journey. He's not done yet. He said, I'm not complete. I'm not fulfilled. I'm not finished. He hadn't crossed the finish line in this race. He's doing more than just giving a personal testimony here. He's explaining that you and I, if we're like him, we're not finished yet either. If we're reading these words, we're not done yet either. 
So keep living as an example of Jesus. So keep running this race as a representative of Jesus. Keep running the race. The race isn't over, so keep running. Running tip number two, don't look back. This may be one of the most important things that Paul says in this text. Don't look back. Though a runner may occasionally steal a glance over his or her shoulder at the competitors behind him or, or her during the race, but this shouldn't be a regular habit. Paul says he forgot what was behind him. He could have included a number of things, but I think there were three basic categories. The first is his accomplishments. Paul was a, a man of tremendous accomplishment in the Jewish faith. In fact, he was on a fast track to heights in the Jewish leadership. He was also, had, he was also one who had a lot of achievements in his Christian faith. Paul had taken missionary journeys where he sowed the gospel. He had helped plant churches throughout the Roman Empire. Paul was kind of a big deal. And if he had seen himself that way, he could have easily stepped back and said, you know, <laughs> the church is where it is because of me. <laughs> he could have done that. Often we see our successes as the reasons why we're so important and why we're valuable. But Jesus, for every Christian, is the one true reason why you and I have meaning and value in this life. So we don't need to look back at our successes in order for us to feel as though we somehow matter. Well, there's another reason, uh, another thing that Paul forgot, and that was his mistakes. And Paul made plenty of them. You remember, he was the one who was kind of leading the persecution against the church. Paul was involved with the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr among the churches. And we read about a little bit of what was going on at this time through Paul as he persecuted the church in Acts the ninth chapter, verses one and two. Look what he says. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Saul is his name before his conversion. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any uh, there who belonged to the way, that's the name they had given to the church, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Paul was a first century, you know, bounty hunter who would go out and track down Christians and arrest them and then bring them back to Jerusalem to be prosecuted. It was on that mission to Damascus to arrest Christians that Paul actually met Jesus and was converted. If you think about Paul's life, you think there was a lot that he did that I mean, truthfully, he could have been humbled and humiliated by. Sometimes we allow the mistakes that we've made to define us. Maybe it was a marriage you should never have entered into, and you ended up in a horrible divorce and just cost you a tremendous amount of personal wealth and personal reputation. Or maybe it was a job that you took. You should never have gotten into that job. You know now it just looked too good to be true, and it was, and you went through a bankruptcy as a result and nearly wiped you out personally or whatever the mistake was of your past. The tendency is that we define ourselves by that. It took the wrong path. Paul says, don't look back at that stuff. 
That's not what defines you. There's a third thing that Paul probably forgot, maybe the most important of all of these things, and that was his sinful failures. All of us have done things that are sinful. They're different than mistakes. Mistakes sometimes are against things that we regret, but sin, it's an offense to God. Romans 3.23 says, For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Sin can make us think that we're unworthy. Have you ever felt that way? Don't allow past sin that God has washed away when you agreed to follow him as a disciple. Don't allow that past sin to keep you from running the best race possible. In fact, some of you have been dogged by a certain sin almost your entire Christian life. And I want to give you permission today based on the word of God. You just need to accept God's forgiveness and stop allowing your past to keep you from running the very best race that God is calling you to run. I think there are three specific reasons why God tells us not to look back. And I want to give them to you very quickly. First is, it breaks your momentum and deteriorates your form. You think about running, it's a lot like life. It's all about efficiency. Extraneous movements take energy and they create drag, if you will, in your form. When you break your form by turning your head and your shoulders to look around to see who's behind you, you sacrifice efficiency. In life, it's never, too, it's never good to obsess on what is behind you and spend too much time reflecting on the past because the past can discourage you. It can embarrass you. It can even make you feel ashamed and you lose your focus on the present and what lies ahead, what's important ahead. If you spend too much time in the past, you'll lose focus on the future and you may actually find yourself going down the wrong road altogether. I know as a runner, whether it was a race or, or training run, if I looked behind me I oftentimes found myself going in a sideways direction or stumbling over something or even running into things. I can tell you, most of the time you look back, bad things are gonna come your way. There's another reason not to look back. It puts you in the wrong mindset. If you allow yourself to get distracted from your goal, which is to run as hard and as fast as you can for the kingdom of God, you can easily lose focus. There's a reason why the windshield is the size it is and the rear view mirror is the size it is. Use that as a metaphor to remind you. Spend a lot more time looking forward and a lot less time looking in the rear view mirror. How often do you feel yourself getting off track at work or at home? You started the day off great only to end up dissatisfied because you accomplish so little. Don't allow yourself to look over your shoulder at the unimportant tasks in this life that only are going to bog you down and add no value to help you live as a disciple of Jesus. Third reason not to look back. Don't look back because it lets your competition know you're tired. I want you to think about this for a minute. Our life, in our life, our competition is our spiritual enemy, the devil. And he can get into your head on occasion and say that you're not good enough to run this race. He wants you to think 
that you're a poor representative of Jesus because of all these things that you did in your past. By looking over your shoulder and allowing yourself to be distracted by the unimportant stuff of the past, you're giving the, that lie that you're not good enough. Too much oxygen. But Jesus says otherwise. Jesus says you are worth it. Distracted people are people that are not confident in what they're doing. That's why they allow themselves to get so distracted so easily. So stop looking back at the past and stay focused. Don't look back. Running tip number three, push yourself hard. Push yourself hard. Look what Paul says at the end of verse 13. It's actually, I got dyslexic. That's, there aren't 13 chapters in Philippians, just so for the seven of you that are going to catch that, okay? It's 3.13, the last part of 13. And he says, and straining toward what is ahead. Paul was aware of all the things that distract us, but none of those things he was going to allow to weigh him down. In fact, he's leaning into this. He's, he's not going to let it sidetrack his dedication. He's pushing forward. His forward progress was so intense that we actually translate the word he uses here in the Greek as straining. He also gave an, uh, this idea in 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, verse 24. He says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Now, how is that similar? Well, I want you to think about the person who gets the prize. They're the person who wins the race, right? What is significant about them? What is unique about them? They run faster than everybody else, right? And that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about our effort. Paul says, strain when you run. Push yourself. Go hard at this. Paul's point is every day, give maximum effort. Run like a winner. You know, it doesn't happen all that often in Major League Baseball, but it did happen this past week on July the 30th in a game against the Colorado Rockies and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Los Angeles Dodgers first baseman jo Jock Peterson was benched during the game because he did not run hard to first base. I thought that was interesting. He had grounded out to an infielder, and while the play was being made to put him out at first base, he did what my dad would say, he lollygagged. Now, I'm not sure what the, the actual definition is, and if that's a swear word, I apologize, okay? But he would use it, don't lollygag. Well, Jock Peterson lollygagged down to first base, and the, the manager of the, uh, of the Dodgers, Dave Roberts, revealed after the game that he benched him because of that very thing took the best first baseman off of the team because he wasn't going to have a guy who was going to only play at 50%. He said, you got to run the ball out, Roberts did. There's a certain way to play the game. I didn't see the effort here. One of Roberts' mantras since he was hired by the Dodgers to be their manager has been a commitment to playing each game with 100% effort. And you know, that's true for us as Christians. I think a lot of times we think, hey, I go to church on Sunday, that's good enough. But the truth of the matter is, is if you can ask for 100% effort in every game from a baseball player, shouldn't God deserve every bit as much, if not more? We should give him every bit of effort as possible. It's easy to get dis disengaged and discouraged, and we've talked about that. 
It's easy to lack intensity when you're running this race we call life. We can't lose focus, though, on the importance of us running the best race we can because people will go from death to life because of the message that we get to share with them. Running with a clear focus and with serious intensity can actually impact those around us for all eternity. So push yourself hard. Give 100% effort every single day as you run this race. Running tip number four, sprint to the finish. Sprint to the finish. Listen to what Paul writes in verse 14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize. He's sprinting for the finish for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is a race in which all the finishers are winners. But Paul's saying, listen, that doesn't diminish the effort that the runner needs to put into this. What's he say? I press on toward the goal to win the prize. I'm pressing. You can see the veins kind of popping out as he's getting close to the tape because he wants to break it going as fast as he can. Paul reminds us that there is a prize here at the finish line of this race. And the prize isn't defined. Most likely what Paul's referring to is what's involved in a relationship with God in heaven for all eternity. So what I want to challenge you to do this morning is look at your life. Keep your eye on the finish line. Oh, for some of you, it's decades and decades away. For some of you, it's a little closer. Let's live our lives giving the best effort that we can to advance the kingdom of God. You see, this life is going to be over soon enough. So run the best race you can while you can. Paul challenges us in this text to finish this race. He says, keep running. The race isn't over yet. Keep running. Don't look back. Give it your best. Push yourself hard. Sprint to the finish line. Paul's words are inspiring. If you spend enough time with them, they'll speak to your soul. And I think they'll energize you. But remember, he wants to remind us to keep running the race. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. There are going to be setbacks. There are going to be things that don't go the way you plan. But as my friend David Mitchell said, keep moving forward. If you have to walk, keep moving forward. Keep running this race until you cross the finish line. Those are the four tips, but I told you there were five. And the fifth one is found at the end of this book. And this is a simple tip, maybe the best one or most important one of all. And it's this, God's got this, never forget that. God's got this. Never forget that. Paul's writing at the very end of this letter in Philippians 4.19. And this is what he says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. As we close this message this morning, I want you to know just how true that promise is that God will provide. I've had the privilege of having a front row seat on this Northeast adventure and I have seen God provide for Northeast with resources when we were so desperate and no idea where that resource revenue was going to come from. We saw God work through so many of you. God blessed you with a bonus or a, an inheritance or a really good season in your business. And you gave in response to that blessing 
at just the right time. Most of you had no idea how much that meant to this place and keeping the doors open and keeping things moving forward. We try to be as transparent with you as possible, but sometimes it was just too much to share. I remember one of those times in particular several years ago, it was 2017, when we were running a huge budget deficit. I think we were somewhere around $47,000 behind. And we trusted God. We were praying as elders every morning that God would provide. I happened to be in Iowa visiting my family when my administrative assistant called me on Monday after that fifth Sunday offering. It was fifth Sundays, there's four of them. They're not usually your biggest offerings. She called me and said, hey, uh, sorry to bother you. Are you sitting down? Which is never a good thing, right? And I said, oh, no. What happened? And she said, no, this is a good are you sitting down. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. Yesterday's offering was $73,000. And I went, I'm sorry? It sounded like you said 73. See, our weekly need was 29000 and something. She said, yeah, somebody put a $50,000 check in. The... He had a $47,000 need, and God, I don't know that that family knew at the time that we had a shortfall of $47,000, but God did. God has blessed Northeast through so many of you, through your faithful support, I know I'm talking about a big check, but I'm telling you that every week, week in and week out, this thing runs because you have faith to invest in what God is doing here. And as amazing as CFR is, none of that happens if you don't do that. So I'm grateful for you and your generosity. You know, it's easy to call out to God when you're sinking and you have no other alternative or place to turn. But I want us to never forget that God is faithful all the time, not just in times of desperation. I don't ever want to get to a point where we don't lean on God every day, not because we have a debt, just because he's worthy of us leaning on him every day. I've been sharing this story, and I'm going to continue to share it because God has shown his faithfulness to Northeast. And I want people to know that. I've been sharing about this story about closing this deal because it's a really cool story. And God's blessing was huge. And everybody needs to know just how awesome and cool that is. But there's another reason why I've been telling the story of God's faithfulness. And it's because I don't ever want to forget it. I want you to join me in telling that story because I don't want you to forget God's faithfulness either. I want us to together make known to all the generations just how trustworthy and reliable God is. And one of the things that you'll see, it's what's happened here, is not only as we see God's faithfulness, but your faith will expand as you trust him more. There's two main reasons in my mind 
to make his faithfulness known. The first is this, people need to know that God offers hope. People need that today. And secondly, God deserves our praise for his faithfulness. The psalmist says in Psalm 89.1, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. And I want us to do that this morning. We're going to close this sermon in a little bit different way and the service in a little bit different way. There's a video that we had put together that gives some texture, some insight and background to what we've been talking about. And then what I want you to do, once you have that understanding and you see the faithfulness of God in this, if you're a Christ follower, if you, maybe whether you, this is your home church or not, if you're a Christ follower, I want you to join me at the end of the service. I've asked Mike and the, the band to come out, and we're going to do one worship song. And we worship God all the time. We've done it already tonight, today. But what I want us to do in this one worship song is I want us to express through our voices our gratitude to God for always being faithful to us because we would not have made it without him. So watch, these, uh, watch the video screens and uh, then we'll worship. I came to Northeast in November 2010 before that, I came and visited a friend of mine, and I sat upstairs because he likes to do the lights, and he invited me to come to church with him, and I was passing through on, on my truck. And at the end of that sermon, uh, the elders stood up, and like I looked at Steve Allen, his entire countenance changed. His face dropped, and he looked, and he said, the elders have something to say to you, and he stepped back, and they put up this big pie chart on, on the stage, and on that pie chart, it had a little blue chart for the missions, a giant red part for the debt, a little yellow for the utilities, and then the section of green for how much you, they paid the employees. And I'll never forget it, because they were like, imagine if we don't have the red part, imagine what we could do. And, and I was just like, yeah, imagine, that, that's really awesome. And I was like, that's gonna be great, God. And then they switched and said, if we don't have the red, we're gonna take from the blue, the mission work, what God wants us to do, and we're gonna pay the debt. The debt was uh, right at $9 million plus a closing cost to ever play it, to, to pay it off. Uh, there were early payment penalties and, and all of that. Just uh, crippled us uh, in, in order to do ministry or prohibited us from doing ministry. I mean, it's a stranglehold on everything we do. I mean, from ministries, missions, outreach, all the way down to maintenance. Uh, when you have a debt like that, every one of those items has become a budget item almost, and they're hard, they're hard to do anything with. Because of this debt and because of the way the bank was, uh, had access to our funds and was just taking money for all these fees and different things, it really hurt our, our tithing because uh, our congregation got to the point where they said, we're just giving money to a bank and we're not giving money to be able to do God's work. Ephesians. 3 verses 20 and 21 are life verses for me and that verse is to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is work within us to him be the glory in the church and forevermore so when I accepted this position I decided that this is what Northeast needed to know that God could do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine so I asked the elders to memorize that verse and to start praying that verse. And 
Uh, that is kind of where the whole refinancing everything was all about, seeing how God was going to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Well, I think God's faithfulness is that we're still here. Um, as far as common sense or um, you know, how things go in the world are, um, we shouldn't be here as F a family. Financially. Financially, yeah. we should not be here. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But so we're here because God wants us here. You know, every time we've had a valley and there was a way, it didn't look like there was a way out of it, you know, God came through and through His people that were faithful. And I go back to saying that, you know, I think it's because the, the leadership is being faithful to serve God and going forward on their knees, not lording it over them, but instead uh, serving, uh, you know, in such a humble manner. CFR came on the scene. They had already been on the scene before, and they had once before made an uh, offer to the bank, and the bank turned them down. And so it was probably around November that they came on the scene again, and we made uh, an initial offer to the bank, and they came back and told us that that was uh, an impossible uh, deal, that that wasn't going to happen. After that, uh, someone gave a $10 million gift to CFR. CFR came back to us and said, look, we've been given this gift and we want to help you all. And CFR's second offer to us was $300,000 less in fees than the first offer was and the interest rate went down. And so we approached the bank again. And uh, when I first spoke to the bank, they said that there was no way that they would accept that offer, but they did accept the offer. We now have gone from having uh, $8.9 million worth of debt to $5,530,000 worth of debt. I cannot express to you in words how I feel about this and how that God certainly did immeasurably more than we could have asked because the bank and CFR told us that this was the biggest forgiveness of debt that the bank had ever done, and CFR said it was the biggest forgiveness that they had ever seen. It was one of those feelings where I just kind of wanted to go home, get on the roof, and just shout out to the world, you know. The God I serve is a mighty God, and He certainly is able to do more than we could have ever imagined because we never dreamed when we started down this road that we would end up with such a huge forgiveness of debt. It now was creating a pathway for us to actually eliminate debt. And that was something that we didn't have in the past. And you know, when you think about God answering prayers that you've been praying for a long time, that just, there's nothing more energizing to you personally, as well as to your faith. A group of us have been praying for probably three years. Every morning we pray that God would deliver us uh, in some way, form or fashion, from this burden we had over us. It's a stranglehold. And uh, to see it finally come together and knowing that he was totally in charge, it was amazing. When they announced the loan buyout from stage, man, it's just such an awesome feeling to know that everything God has done here in the last several years has all come to play in this, just this awesome opportunity for Northeast and for us to just take it to the next step and to do what God has called us here to do. What brought to mind was that question they asked way back when, was what happened if all this red was gone? Uh, instead of taking some missions, that you know, now they're saying when the red is gone, 
Uh, there's so much more free resources to share with the people in our neighborhoods to rescue so many more people uh, from the kingdom. And it reminds us that God is still at work here and he's not done with us yet.